Welcome in, everyone, to the Talking Tide podcast. I'm Chase Goodbread of NFL.com and Crimson Cover Television. I'm joined by Travis Ryer, the BamaOnline.com senior analyst and also the daily radio host of Southern Fried Sports at 100.9 FM in Tuscaloosa. You can hear that weekdays, 11 to noon. The Talking Tide podcast available to you at our web host at Podbean.com. Also, several apps, including iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, and Stitcher, and of course the Talking Tide podcast Twitter feed handle is Talking underscore Tide. You can get quick links to podcasts as we drop them through that Twitter feed, and we're going to preview the Citrus Bowl here uh, in this edition of the Talking Tide podcast, Travis, and uh, since we last launched a pod coming off of Alabama's lost to Auburn a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I guess the really only really news here uh, around the football program has been the decision by Terrell Lewis and Trevon Diggs to sit this bowl game out. Uh, a big blow to a defense that already is, has, been, has, has had more than its share of problems throughout the season, particularly late in the year, Travis. On the other hand, the, the flip side of that is with, with all the NFL talent that Alabama potentially has coming out for that 2020 draft, could have been a lot worse. I, I was thinking it was going to be a bigger exodus than just two guys. Yeah, and when you look at some of the first-round mocks, and goodness knows we've got plenty of those out there to access, um, Alabama, as far as, again, the perception of outsiders in terms of where these draftable players for Alabama sort of stack up, uh, you see Trayvon Diggs and Terrell Lewis in some of the first-round mocks, but you don't see them as frequently with the greatest frequency that you do with some of these other guys. So, in other words, Jerry Judy is playing, Jedrick Wills is playing, Najee Harris is playing Devonte Smith, Henry Ruggs the third. You know these guys that that have decisions to make coming up after this bowl game. Uh, they're going to play now. As you outlined there, where it hurts you is on the side of the football, in which you you don't have a couple of guys playing. And defensively, as we've talked about for the last three or four months, uh, the hits have just sort of piled up. And this is two more. Although, you know, there is opportunity there for a couple of guys that. At this point in in their development, you, you sort of expected to to be ready to step into that type of situation should it present itself. So we'll find out if the the next men up, I guess you could say, are are ready to to step in there and, and get the job done. Yeah, Josh Job, presumably the guy who's going to step in and play for Trayvon Diggs, a, a talented guy, a young guy, an athletic guy for sure. Not a ton of experience. Uh, your thoughts in, on 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 his opportunity and also the the plug in for Lewis. Yeah, you kind of figured early in the season that this is the the spot that you would see Josh Job in in terms of having that opportunity to you know, start because that's what he was doing in the nickel and dime packages in the first couple of games of the year. Uh, he would come in at the corner. Patrick Sertan, the second was sliding inside to star Trayvon Diggs playing that other corner, uh, had a little bit of a rocky start to the regular season. And with that, the decision was made to go with experience and Shaheem Carter at star and just keep Sertan outside at corner in those nickel and dime packages. So it's another chance uh, for Josh Job as a true sophomore to kind of position himself in a very good way uh, moving forward. Now at outside linebacker, Christopher Allen, you know, figures to be the guy 
that sees the the biggest uptick in snaps in this game and makes sense because you know, he's sort of been that third outside linebacker throughout the season. But also, this is a Michigan offense, even with Josh Gaddis bringing more spread concepts and trying to sort of modernize that Michigan approach under Jim Harbaugh on that side of the football. Still, Harbaugh is going to have some two tight end sets. There's going to be tight ends on the field. Uh, it's just going to be the case with a Jim Harbaugh offense. So with that, you're going to have some base defense opportunities for Alabama. You're going to need two outside linebackers. So that means Christopher Allen likely to go along with Anthony Jennings on Wednesday. And you got to have depth in your pass rush. I mean, you know, you'd love to to just have Anthony out there for 55, 60, 65 snaps, but you know, you've got to be able to roll some guys in. So Christopher Allen, uh, maybe Ben Davis becomes a part of the thing in, in pass rush situations a little bit. Jerez Parks has been around for a couple of years now. You got a young guy like Keem Wakuda that could be a possibility. So that's sort of where it sits now with those two guys out of the mix. Your reset on this Citrus Bowl, Alabama coming in 10-2 and two on the season. Michigan coming in 9-3. and three. It'll be broadcast by ABC. A noon Central Time kickoff. Of course, that's 1 p.m. local time, Eastern time down in Orlando. Uh, and as you noted, it'll be on Wednesday, Travis. Uh, uh, the ticket man, not doing so great. Cheap seats around $50 to $75 in that neighborhood. A lot more expensive if you want to sit on the 50 up close. Uh, but the get-in price is low, as as they as you'd expect for uh, pretty much every bowl game, including, by the way, uh, the, the playoff games, these these CFP semifinals that we just witnessed that we will touch on later in the podcast. They weren't too hard to get into either. No, these are I mean, the the, the postseason for the most part. It's it's made for TV, right? I mean, that, that's that's the reason why the television rights go for what they do. That's why we have as many bowl games as we have, because basically ABC slash ESPN, that, that platform of networks there, uh, they own the bowl system. They own the bowl games at this point with what they pay out for television rights. So uh, it's almost like game shows, you know, recorded before a live studio audience. That's all they want for these bowl games. You know, they just want some people to show up. You know, so that, you know, they, they have a backdrop in which to present these games. And, you know, I've talked about it before. It's kind of a hill that I've started to die on. You know, so many of these games are better suited for smaller venues from that standpoint. Now, I get it. When you're talking about the New Year's Six games, college football playoff, even this game with Alabama and Michigan, you, you got to play it in a varsity stadium. I get that. Um, but some of these secondary bowls, man, if you have access to these MLS soccer stadiums, you need to be playing these games in twenty-five to thirty thousand seaters, because uh, as you said, the, the ticket demand—it's it, not really there at this point. You can fit the crowd in a phone booth in some of these games. I mean, if you if you, if you watch the backdrop on some of these lower end bowl games, it, it's uh, it's pretty awful. But you're right; it, it's a it's a made for TV bowl season now. There's no question about it. Uh, the opportunity here for Alabama against Michigan, Travis, a team that uh, it, it's a blue blood program. Obviously, it's a it's a big helmet game. I think one thing I know I ran into this number the other day, and it and it was pretty striking so in Alabama it's an opportunity for Alabama to probably in a lot of minds and in mind too, beat their first good team of the season if you look at the 10 teams Alabama beat in the regular season Travis every single one of them lost five games or more 
They combined for 72 losses total. And, of course, Alabama beat them all. So 62 if you take out the, the, their losses to, to Alabama. But that that's, that's seven losses per team on average among the teams Alabama beat. And I think that's a stat you have to think, right, that the college football playoff selection committee had – you know, very visible and right in front of it when you, you saw these rankings um, down the stretch of the season, especially after the loss to Auburn. Uh, that's why I got to think that you see Alabama at number 13. And you can watch these games and you can talk about eye tests, and I agree with it. You know, when I watch Oklahoma get absolutely obliterated by LSU, do I think that Alabama, even without Tua Tonga Vialoa on Saturday afternoon in Atlanta, would have been more competitive? with Mac Jones at quarterback than Oklahoma was with Jalen Hurts as a complete total football team, even with all the losses that Alabama has incurred from a personnel standpoint. Yeah, I do. But when you look at it on paper, as you just uh, put it out there for us, uh, it, it, it's it's been lacking, no doubt about it. And you can talk about, well, you know, you lost by five to a team that might very well end up winning the national championship. You lose by three on the road at Auburn. Um, you know, in a game in which you didn't have your starting quarterback, it, you know, just from a black and white perspective, uh, it, it, in, in the words of Nick Saban, right? It, it kind of is what it is this year. Michigan with Shea Patterson, the quarterback, comes in pretty hot. He's put together back-to-back-to-back 300-yard passing performances to close the regular season for the Wolverines. Your thoughts on what how he's looked, of course, transferring from Ole Miss. Uh, he's been the Michigan quarterback a couple of years now. Seems like he's been up there forever, uh, even though he, even though it's, it's been, I guess, a relatively short stint up there. But uh, uh, your thoughts on Patterson and how he's kind of shaken out as Michigan's guy? Yeah, it, it, it seemed, you're right. It, it doesn't seem like it was just two years ago. Shea Patterson was here in Tuscaloosa throwing it around to A.J. Brown and D.K. Metcalf and, and those guys when he was the starting quarterback for Ole Miss in that 66-3 to loss at Bryant-Denny Stadium for the Rebels. But, you know, I'll say this for Shea Patterson because you know, it's been largely another disappointing season for Michigan. Sands the win over Notre Dame in Ann Arbor, in which Michigan really took care of business against the Irish. In the games that really matter to Michigan fans, and this isn't just this season. As we know, this has been throughout Jim Harbaugh's tenure uh, at UM. It, it, it has consistently come up short. And you know, one of those losses, the first loss of the season, it was embarrassing embarrassing loss to Wisconsin. And you got the feeling late in that game that maybe Michigan was going to start to move in another direction at quarterback. There was some unrest there, but I give Shea Patterson a lot of credit. He rebounded from that performance, went on to a really solid campaign. Michigan again, did not sort of achieve to the level that many predicted it would, but I wouldn't say that Shea Patterson's play was a reason for Michigan sort of underachieving. So uh, he's had a solid senior season. This is a game we talk about guys, are they going to play? Are they not going to play? Well, certainly he's going to play in the game, but he needs to play well when you talk about his big picture prospects uh, moving forward. I I think Michigan has settled into, gotten kind of comfortable with a a three wide receiver set um, that they like. Nico Collins is a kid from the uh, Birmingham area that 
has had a nice season from Clay Chalkville High School. Ronnie Bell in the slot leads Michigan and catches in receiving yards. Um, you've got some talent on the outside, but again, to go along with that, the tight ends are going to be in play for Michigan, and that means Alabama's linebackers and safeties are going to have to play pretty well themselves. John Runyon at left tackle, a pretty strong talent for the Wolverines. It'll be uh, working on Alabama's edge pass rush, so that'll be a matchup to watch as well. Uh, the Michigan, three losses on the season, but they're three, and this is kind of a theme throughout Harbaugh's run. Three lo- Nine and three is a good number. It's a good record, but yeah. th- three, biggest lo- th- three biggest games of the season they got beat. As you noted, Wisconsin, and they looked really bad in that one, as you said. Also lost to Penn State, and of course they lost to Ohio State at the end of the year. Jim Harbaugh can't get over the hump in the big games. Uh, that's been how it's been for him at Michigan. Uh, Alabama's a chance for him to, to – chalk one up against a, a big-time program. But is there such a thing as a signature win in a Citrus Bowl? I don't know that there is. There is more so from the Harbaugh-Michigan perspective in this one than there is for Alabama. I, I, I think in terms of an opportunity to at least temporarily silence the Wolves that are out up there, uh, I think this is obviously – a a big opportunity for, for Harbaugh to, again, just for the moment at least, sort of do that. Where it's different is that I don't think either way Wednesday's outcome is going to be a strong indicator of what's to come for Alabama in 2020 because you've got so many of these draft eligibles that still haven't, at least publicly anyway, announced their intentions. You know, Alabama could go out, play great, and look like Alabama 2010 in that Citrus Bowl win. I guess it was Capital One Bowl at the time. But that went over Michigan State back uh, to cap the 2010 season. That told you something about what was to come, perhaps, for Alabama in 11 and what spilled over into 2012. I don't think so as much this time around. You know, If you want to talk about the outlook for Alabama football beyond Wednesday, you can't really start to, to to consider that until you know who's coming back. Tua Tagovailoa, Dylan Moses, uh, a couple of the receivers, uh, a couple of the offensive tackles. You know how that all plays out is going to go a much longer way, farther way, and kind of giving us an indication of Alabama 2020 than you know whether or not Alabama beats Michigan in Orlando. A lot of eyes, a lot of Alabama, a lot of. Eyes in Alabama Nation, the fan base, are going to be paying close attention to that uh, mid-January press conference where the Crimson Tide, uh, Nick Saban announces who's staying and, and who's going. How many chairs are going to be lined up behind him in that Naylor Stone media room? There's, always, there's always a chair for each one. And uh, uh, the reporters, after a couple of years of those press conferences, they got to where they, they took photos of those chairs, threw them out on Twitter, and said, well, it looks like there's four leaving this year. It looks like there's five leaving this year based on the number of chairs. Although, I, you say that, uh, th- I think there have been uh, a couple of rare occasions where a guy would – come into that press or take a seat, get up on the mic and say, I'm coming back. I think there is some precedent for that, but not much. And, and you never know is one of the chairs for Nick, you know, so you're before everybody comes in there, is that a Nick chair? Is that not a Nick chair? You know, you're trying to do yeah. all the math in your head. Yeah. Um, but you know, I, I'm left to wonder, I mean, that deadline isn't until January 20th, right? Is right. that correct? A little later than usual. Yeah. So, 
I know that, you know, that typically takes place because in previous years it's, it's had to be later because Alabama's played in national championship games. Um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking perhaps maybe it's earlier, uh, into the new year. And, you know, you've seen some of these tweets and some of this Snapchat stuff, you know, I'm not on Snapchat, but thankfully my daughters and my kids are because they see stuff from Tua and then I get a text because they're on Snapchat and they're asking me. Is Tua coming back? Is yeah. Tua because there's kind of been these this hinting, you know, that that Tua on social media, Twitter, uh, Snapchat, some different things here in the last few days, Chase, uh, that that have the fan base thinking more than ever that Tua Tagovailoa is going to come back for a final season. At this point, if he doesn't come back, it's gonna it's gonna be like twice as much of a blow because I think some of this stuff on social media in recent days really has a lot of Alabama fans believing that they're going to get their starting quarterback for another year. I guess if I ever end up being a beat writer again, uh, I'm going to have to Snapchat. I'm going to have to get on it's some rough, of these social man. media yeah. platforms. I mean, I, w- I did the Twitter thing uh, back yeah. in my day. It's oh, like, no, that's not going to be enough, no, no, no. You're going to have to be on Insta, as the kids call it, because they're too lazy to just call it Instagram. Yeah. They, they have to even cut that short. Um, Snapchat, you know. TikTok, they got now good bread. I mean, yeah, you're gonna have to, you know, you, you, I, I don't, I don't know, I don't know if you're not at a point where you can't go back. You might be too far gone to go back. You, might you know, be at right. this point, I, might I, be too I, much of a curmudgeon see, at this point to go back. I thought Vine was TikTok. Can somebody <laughs> explain to me what what TikTok does that Vine didn't do? Because Vine died on the Vine, right? Repackaging, uh, <laughs> repackaging, they call it. There you go. All right, the Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn coming at you. Some quick predictions for the Citrus Bowl, then we'll move on. Thank a couple of sponsors. We'll talk a little bit of CFP action. We'll talk Alabama basketball, and then we'll close things out. Uh, prediction, though, Travis, I'm going to call this. Now, the Vegas man's got this thing, Alabama by seven. I'm going to call a relatively easy cover for the Crimson Tide. I think Michigan has had trouble with quality quarterbacks this year. And, and while Mac Jones uh, isn't necessarily an established guy, I think the Wolverines are going to have all sorts of problems defending what is uh, the best wide receiving core I've ever seen in college football, certainly the deepest. Uh, I like a big day for Mac Jones, and maybe he throws another pick or two, but I think he's going to come up with a lot of big plays, uh, a lot of chunk plays, and I'm looking for this score to be somewhere in the neighborhood of of 38-21 Alabama. I'm I'm right there with you in terms of that neighborhood. We're on the same street, put it that way, uh, when it comes to our predictions. Yeah, I I agree. I just think – the skill personnel in general for Alabama will have an opportunity to put up some big numbers in this game. You talk about the wide receivers. I mean, Jalen Waddle at this point, you want to talk about one of those receivers that's as hot as, as any of them right now. It's Jalen Waddle. I mean, he's looking in this game to find the end zone for a fifth straight game. And the thing is, it doesn't just have to be as a receiver, as we've seen the punt return against LSU, the kickoff return from 98 yards against Auburn. Now, this guy doesn't require many touches to find the end zone, just like the other Alabama wide receivers uh, for that matter. But I do. I like all the pieces around Mac Jones. You bring back Miller Forstall at the tight end position, who you didn't have in the month of November, Chase. 
Um, you got your two offensive tackles. Your offensive line is in place. I think Alabama is going to have an opportunity to score somewhere in the mid to upper 30s, if not more. Uh, you touched on turnovers. That that that's the only area where I could see Michigan having a real chance to win this game because uh, the the two games Alabama lost is as effective as Alabama's been in turnover margin throughout this season. That wasn't the case against LSU. That wasn't the case against Auburn. They lost both those games. So somehow, some way, Michigan defensively is going to have to figure out a way to take the football away from Alabama. I think Najee Harris has 20-plus touches in this game, uh, continues that trend for the Alabama offense. And then defensively, though, you know, I still think Alabama is going to have to answer some questions. DJ Dale not expected to play up front at the nose tackle position. So you combine that with Diggs and Terrell Lewis out. Um you know, I think Michigan's going to have a chance to score a little bit, too. I probably like Michigan to score maybe a little bit more than you do. Uh, but in terms of a a, a difference between the team point-wise, I'm, I'm kind of there with you. Yeah, I was just thinking about some of that Alabama-Michigan bowl history for a second. Of course, you had that big Tom Brady game in the Orange Bowl. Prior to that, uh, that 96 Outback Bowl, the swan song for Gene Stallings. Uh, Absolutely, and uh, my my lasting memory of that one was when Charles Woodson came up with a big interception for the Wolverines, about five feet away from Gene Stallings, and came up and shimmied right in front of Gene. <laughs> I got the feeling Gene didn't appreciate that too yeah. much. But, Dwayne uh, Rudd went coast to coast with his pick of Brian Greasy, and uh, yeah, I mean there was a there was a lot to remember about a game that I think kicked off at like 10 a.m. Central down yeah. in Tampa back in those days, and it's hard to think now. I mean, we both have kids that are 23, 24 years old. Uh, I think our oldest, that was his first Alabama game, and he was maybe all of nine months old that day down at – that was the old Sombrero, by the way, <laughs> in Tampa. Right. That wasn't Raymond James, my boy. That was the Sombrero down there. Yeah. <laughs> And with that quick walk down history lane, we're going to turn and thank a couple of sponsors really quick uh, for the Talking Tide podcast, starting with North River Dental Associates and Dr. Jack Smalley. It's the place to go in Tuscaloosa if you need your teeth cleaned, your family's teeth cleaned. They're going to get you in and out of there on a routine cleaning in less than an hour, sometimes a lot less than an hour, uh, but they do an outstanding job as well. If you want to make an appointment, go to NorthRiverDentist.com or you can call them at 752 to make an appointment. They're also really good at dealing with those insurance people. They get any kind of insurance snag uh, cleared up and taken care of pretty quickly. They're great with that. And all kinds of dental services as well. Porcelain veneers, cosmetic dentistry, pediatric dentistry for the kids, laser dentistry, teeth whitening services. You got that big party coming up, uh, that big New Year's Eve party, whatever the case may be. You want to get those uh, teeth shining bright, uh, get in there and see Dr. Jack over at North River Dental Associates. Also want to thank Session Cocktails and Spirits. Hunter Wiggins and his staff over there are doing a great job. Just opened in September down on University Boulevard in downtown Tuscaloosa. The address 2221 University, and they are whipping up some outstanding cocktails over there. They got a deep selection of whiskeys. Uh, they got some wine. They got some outstanding beers. 
but the cocktails is where it's at over there. And don't forget about that Capri, uh, top of the list on that session cocktails menu uh, with a donation with each Capri purchase. It's an $8 drink uh, made with that Tito's handmade vodka, and a portion of every purchase goes to the Metro Animal Shelter of Tuscaloosa. Get over and see them, Session Cocktails and Spirits in downtown Tuscaloosa, right next to the new Raised on Country uh, restaurant that's pretty popular as well. Uh, get over and see Session and Hunter. I want to tell you a couple places to go get yourself uh, a real quality bite to eat. How about Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa, at Government Plaza, now, they've taken the sort of Christmas to New Year's holiday stretch off there at Heat Pizza Bar. But after the New Year, they're going to be back there in downtown Tuscaloosa serving up those great pies, that Thai chicken pizza. Uh, man, you can't go wrong with any of the pizzas there at Heat Pizza Bar. Downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza full bar craft cocktails try that bon voyage they're gonna muddle up a little strawberry and some basil for you it's an outstanding craft cocktail one of the many you can find at heat pizza bar downtown tuscaloosa in government plaza also appetizers salads it's not just the pizzas the pizzas are good enough on their own but they have those caprizi bites yeah a little tomato a little mozzarella mozzarella Outstanding stuff there at Heat Pizza Bar, downtown Tuscaloosa at Government Plaza. Also, if you're in the Indian Hill section, and even if you aren't, make the trip out there to 1530 McFarland Boulevard North. That's where you're going to find Southern Ale House. Get you one of those yard bird chicken sandwiches to kick off the new year just right. I, trust me, it, it's outstanding. Chase and I can both uh, attest to the quality of that Yardbird chicken sandwich. Really anything on the menu, whether it's the meatloaf, whether it's the biscuit plates, uh, they've got some great brunch options for you on the weekends there. At Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. A great happy hour, too, throughout the week. One of the more popular happy hours you'll find in the Tuscaloosa area. Great happy hour specials there. At Southern Ale House, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. Talking Tide podcast at podbean.com, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and tune in the Twitter feed, talking underscore Tide. You're listening to episode 154 of the podcast at podbean.com. Travis, we'll talk uh, quickly. Some thoughts on the CFP semifinals. We'll hit on Alabama basketball. Uh, they just wrapped one up against Richmond as we tape the show. Uh, but uh, first, LSU and Oklahoma, uh, just a complete disaster, not only for the Sooners, but for the reputation of the Big 12. I mean, really, we've gotten to a point now, I think, in the CFP, Travis, where, you know, we, people talk about the Power Five and the Group of Five, like there's this huge delineation there. What about the delineation between the SEC, ACC, and Big 10? And the Big 12 and Pac-12. There's a delineation there, too. And it's pretty clear. And LSU made it clear. And it wasn't just that Oklahoma got absolutely rolled. And what a performance. You know, we can talk about how bad Oklahoma was or, you know, the the the, the uh, legitimacy, the lack of the illegitimacy of the Big 12 as a player uh, at that level of the postseason. But Joe Burrow, those receivers, that LSU offense, historic, the performance we saw from the Tigers uh, there in Atlanta under some tough circumstances, too, with the death uh, on game day and that tragic plane crash 
that involved the daughter-in-law of LSU offensive coordinator Steve Insminger. But uh, yeah, from a Big 12 viewpoint, you know, it wasn't just Oklahoma. It, it started the day before. I mean, you had Oklahoma State uh, lose in respectable fashion, at least, to Texas A&M and the Texas Bowl. Uh, and then Saturday early, Iowa State, you talk about JV versus varsity. That's what Iowa State looked like on the same field down in Orlando with Notre Dame. Uh, and then to cap it, you have Oklahoma absolutely having its doors blown off uh, by LSU at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. And, you know, I don't know what the answer is. I, I do think this, if, if this is what, if this is the best we can do for a fourth team, then I got to think we're really close to a two-loss SEC team making the field as a fourth team. Because uh, when you look around the SEC and you think about candidates that would have put up a better fight uh, against LSU, uh, I think a two-loss Florida, uh, two-loss Alabama, even without Tua Tonga-Vailoa, uh, it, it's been a really rough look for, for Oklahoma and the Big 12, no doubt about it. It might be time. And the two-loss qualifier is like the final frontier, right? It's the one thing the yeah. CFP selection committee has failed to let in so far. We've seen teams not win a conference title and get in. Uh, we've, we've seen teams make some pretty big jumps at the end of the season in the rankings. One thing we've never seen is a two-loss team get in. It's going to happen sooner or later. And, yeah, you're and, right. And before Saturday, I would have said that I'm not making that argument for the SEC this year. I would have been making the argument more for like a Georgia team from 2018 that you know lost in right. uh, crushing fashion to Alabama and the SEC champion. But in retrospect, why not? You know, I mean, why not a Florida or an Alabama uh, instead of what we got from Oklahoma? That that was a, you know, you talk about a big hole on a Saturday evening and afternoon when you've got so much anticipation for this college football playoff, and that's what gets delivered. It's pretty brutal. Clemson and, uh, excuse me, Clemson and Ohio State, a much more competitive tilt. Uh, Clemson comes out on top. Travis, your thoughts on that game? Great quarterback matchup. Uh, Trevor Lawrence comes up big. I didn't, I, and I knew Trevor Lawrence was an athletic kid, and I knew he could he could do some things with his feet. I didn't know he was. I didn't know he quite had that kind of game in him uh, as a runner against a defense like Ohio State's. He real. I mean, he made some great throws. There's no doubt about it. But he made a, a big difference on the ground too. Yeah, I thought that the game plans for Oklahoma and Clemson offensively got mixed up. Like they got reversed. What Clemson did with Trevor Lawrence on design quarterback runs. These are designed runs for Trevor Lawrence is what I thought Oklahoma would do a good bit of with Jalen hurts and, uh, and, and, and get Jalen really involved in the, in the run game from a design standpoint, really, I didn't think Lincoln Riley did a good job at all. Not that it would have mattered. I mean, LSU was clearly the far better team. Uh, but I but I think the 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 differential in in talent and and, and teams kind of helped gloss over the fact that I, I'm I'm not sure what exactly Lincoln Riley had planned uh, for for Jalen Hurts in that game. Uh, you, you weren't going to beat LSU with Jalen from the pocket. That, that wasn't going to happen. But you, you got to give it to Trevor Lawrence, man, you know, because you know that. And I thought this showed up early in the game when Clemson got behind 16 to nothing. I, I think the act, the ill effects of being in that league in the ACC sort of hurt Clemson early. You know, they, they 
the 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 the, the, the talent level, the tempo, uh, the hitting, everything that they were getting from Ohio State in that first quarter or so. I, I think it took I think it took Clemson Chase a little bit to kind of adjust to that because simply put, you know, Clemson had just not seen anything like that all season long, including South Carolina uh, in the regular season finale. But once they did, uh, I think you saw some of that maturity and some of that experience that Clemson's had in that spot in recent years really come into its advantage. And uh, you got to give it to Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne. Um, and, and I'm not sure how much I like Clemson and some matchups on defense against that LSU offense, especially at the linebacker and safety spots. Uh, but they made the plays when they needed to. It was really neat seeing Nolan Turner, the son of uh, the late Kevin Turner, former Alabama fullback, NFL fullback, make the the clinching play there at the end. And I think I think Nolan Turner is going to have to make more plays like that against LSU than he had otherwise in that game Saturday night. But um, I, I'm I'm Jack, man. I, I think I think uh, you know Clemson, LSU, and in, in New Orleans, that's that's got a chance to be something special. What about that? apparent catch slash fumble return coming back ah, as an incompletion. Yeah. Oh, Buckeye fans are going to be talking about that one for a while. Oh, and, and I think they should. I, I know, you know, you've had people out there and, and, and adamantly speak to the fact that it was never a catch. And whoo, that's a tough one, man. That that's a tough one. Um, because you know what it was ruled on the field, you know, to overturn that, yeah. uh, especially in that spot. Now, you know, maybe by the letter of the rule, if you get down to splitting every fiber possible, you you can come up with a way that 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 wasn't a catch and a fumble. But um, yeah, no doubt about it. And it's funny because you you you, you kind of get the feeling that Ohio State fans want to blame you know the SEC for favoring Clemson. You know, like Clemson is somehow that ne'er do well third cousin you know, of the SEC, and therefore the SEC officiating crew benefited Dabo, the former <laughs> Alabama player, and stuff like that. But, you know, look, here's the thing, too. Ohio State had plenty of chances early in that game. Kicked field goals there uh, and some scoring opportunities. And then some of the 15-yard penalties, man, uh, that, that kept Clemson alive in that game, too. It, it wasn't just that one play. Uh, Ohio State had some self-inflicted things that, uh, they won't recall as readily as that as that uh, fumble return that wasn't for a touchdown, but they were very much uh, a factor in the outcome. Alabama basketball, we'll hit on that really quickly before we get out of here. Travis, the Crimson Tide took on the Richmond Spiders at home uh, shortly before we launched this podcast. They come away with a 90-78 to win. Uh, Shackelford, the freshman, 28 points, a career high for him, season high, career high, both those things. Eight rebounds, six three-pointers in 30 minutes of action. And Alabama's been scoring. Now, I've paid attention to some of these games that uh, they've they've played a handful of games since the last time we podcasted. I watched the road game at Penn State. Uh, that was a game Alabama led by nine in the second half at one point. They let that one get away. Penn State had a size advantage in that game that I think hurt Alabama, not necessarily in terms of rebounding. I thought Alabama held their own pretty well rebounding against Penn State, but in terms of block shots around the rim, uh, I thought Alabama uh, came up short. Penn State was able to uh, swat away 
some of the penetration that uh, from Kyra Lewis Jr. and others getting to the cup. Uh, Richmond didn't have that kind of size, though, and, and Alabama didn't go to the cup that much anyway because they were knocking some threes down and they got the job done. They did. You know, it, this team has games in which it shoots 40% from the three-point line. They're probably going to win those games because, you know, 40% when you're getting 30 up from three, you know, that means you're, you're making double-digit threes, and that kind of was the difference in the game. Alabama makes 12 threes, doubles up the Spiders uh, from three-point range. Uh, Richmond just six of 24 from three. So uh, you get the sense that this team is really settling in to more along the lines of what Nate Oates envisions Alabama basketball to be uh, under his guidance. And um, you're right, Shackelford, outstanding. Uh, got some shots up. And, and Petty continues to be a, a, a revelation in year one under Nate Oates. And what I like about Petty is, you know, he's getting his numbers and he isn't needing 20 shots to get there, you know, and what's been a very encouraging trend for him, you know, and this went over Richmond, he, he finishes with 17 points. He only takes 10 shots. He also gives you six boards for assists. Now he did turn it over seven times. You're going to have to live with some of that with JP, but, um, Turnovers were down a little bit in the win. That's been a bugaboo, as we know, for Alabama, averaging 17 turnovers a game. Had 15 uh, in the in the final non-con of the of the uh, uh, 2019. Now it's on chase to the conference play in a place that hadn't been exceedingly kind to Alabama for the most part, and that's the O'Connell Center down there in Gainesville coming up on Saturday. Yeah, Nate Oates is he's. He definitely scoring a lot of points. Now, some games are giving up a lot. And like you said, the turnovers have been a big problem at times. They're rebounding the ball better than I thought they would for such a small team. And, and, and the way Oates likes to run relatively small lineups out on the floor, uh, never any more than one big man on the floor at the time. And, and usually it's it's Herb Jones or somebody like that who's, who's uh, playing the role of the four. Uh, but the flip side of that, Travis, is that if, if you're going to launch 33-pointers a game, then a lot of those rebounds are going to come off long. And when they come off long, uh, it, it's not always the big men that get their hands on them. Yeah, and their guards can rebound. You know, that's sort of been a saving grace for them. Petty has continued to rebound at a high level. Shackelford had eight boards against Richmond himself. Um, Herb Jones has 10. So – it's more of a perimeter-based team in just about every facet of the game, including rebounding, although it was good to see Alex Reese uh, give Alabama eight boards. But otherwise, when you talk about the true post on this team, JV and Davis with just two rebounds, just played 12 minutes in the game uh, on Sunday night. Uh, Galen Smith with, with five boards in 16 minutes. So everyone that saw the court for Alabama in the game against Richmond – had a rebound, at least one rebound for everybody. And that's how they're going to – it's going to have to be that way, Chase. I, I don't see how they can you know, get away with not getting uh, rebounding effort from just about everybody on the court. Yeah, post play by committee. That's what this team's looking like for sure. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. For Travis Ryer of BamaOnline.com 
and Chase Goodbread. I'm with NFL.com. We'll talk to you next time. We'll be uh, recapping Alabama's game against Michigan in the Citrus Bowl following that game. So uh, stick around for that, and we'll talk to you next time right here on Talking Tide.